Scripture reading this evening comes from John, chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. John 11, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard this, heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. In 2012, a man named Kwame Saku, 65 years old, showed up at his former wife's doorstep after more than 20 years of having what seemed like having deserted her. Uh, that was what she believed and what the family believed because he hadn't been around and just out of nowhere disappeared. And turns out this man was an amnesiac. Uh, they actually came to a conclusion they thought he was dead. Uh, they couldn't find him anywhere, uh, but because of his amnesia, he had lost uh, his identity, didn't know who he was or where he belonged, and ended up, uh, I believe he originally lived in the Pennsylvania area and ended up somewhere in California uh, and wound up starting to remember some things and, and made his way back to his, his original life and figured out who he was and, and all this is a documented story. It's not just something that uh, came out of nowhere uh, as, a, as an imaginary tale. Uh, you can look it up online and the, the thing is, the truth of the matter is, can you imagine having someone who you thought was dead showing up at your doorstep to talk to you? Perhaps you've seen something of that nature in a movie um, in which, which someone who was believed to, to have died in, in war came back and surprised uh, their, their former suitor and it, it, it led to a lot of drama because of that uh, because they, they'd all moved on. They thought that this individual was dead. And similarly with this case of, of Kwame's wife, she had thought he was dead and she had moved on. And to her surprise, he showed up at her doorstep. And a man that was dead was now standing before her, walking and talking. If that actually happened to us today, we would be just utterly flabbergasted. We would be surprised and wouldn't know what to do. We wouldn't know how to react. The truth of the matter is, there is a story, an account in the Bible, in which we find a, of a man who actually came back to life. His name was Lazarus. And as we begin this evening and looking from the, uh, the book of John, John chapters 11 and 12, I want us to make some observations from the text. Make some observations from the text. I didn't know, by the way, that tonight was the new season series premiere or whatever of, of The Walking Dead. Uh, it just happened to be that way. Uh, and so I, I've never really watched the show. I think maybe watched a couple episodes, just never got hooked on it. But we're not even going to talk anything about what you might think uh, with regard to The Walking Dead. It's actually going to be talking specifically focusing on things from John chapters 11 and 12. Let's consider number one this evening 
as we're observing the text, the phileo of Jesus. You're familiar with the different uh, Greek terms for love. You're familiar with the Greek terms agape and phileo and storge and, and, and eros, the different types of, of love that, uh, that the Greeks would, would uh, emphasize. And this particular friendship love, the phileo of Jesus, is found here in John chapter 11 and verse number 3, in which the sisters of Lazarus came to him and said, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. Now certainly, Jesus also loved them with an agape love and, and loves all with an agape love. And, and we're called to love all, with an agape, love all with an agape love as well. But there was a special relationship that Jesus shared with Martha and Mary and Lazarus. And as we're considering this text this evening, as we're considering what transpires in this account, it ought to do us well to remember the fact that these individuals were dear friends of Jesus. They shared a, a friendship love. You're, you're familiar with the city of Philadelphia and the city of brotherly love. And as we think about that friendship or friendliness that, that, that comes along with that idea, that's the type of love that Jesus shared with Lazarus. And as we think about that, let's move on and consider what takes place next in the text. In verses 4 through 7, we see the plan of Jesus. The plan of Jesus. The odd thing is, as we consider the plan of Jesus, is, is the fact that he's a friend of Lazarus. He, he has this friendship love with Lazarus. But then we see the plan of Jesus that comes to light. And it's not what we would expect out of somebody who is a dear friend of someone else. Jesus' plan was something completely different than what we would normally expect of someone that, that was a dear friend. Notice what happens. Jesus, when verse 4 heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that, through the, Son of, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that he, he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. If we recall what we've come to up to this point in the book of John, in John chapter 2, Jesus has turned the water to wine. In John chapter 4, uh, he told the Samaritan woman everything that he knew about her, even though she, he had never met her before and she had never met him. In John chapter 4, he healed the nobleman's son. In chapter 5, he healed the lame man. Also, uh, in chapter 6, he fed the 5,000 from just five barley loaves and, and two fishes. In chapter 6, he walked on water. In chapter 9, he healed the blind man. And then in, notice verse 37 of chapter 11. We're going to jump ahead. Some of them said, we, we know the story, right, where Lazarus ends up dying and, and Jesus brings him back to life. So we're not revealing anything that you don't already know. But it's interesting to notice from verse 37 what some of them said. Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Could he not have also kept this man from dying? Jesus had just finished doing all these various miraculous works and turning the water to the wine and, and turning that small amount of food into enough to feed 5,000 men and, and not including the women and children into to healing the lame man and healing the blind. And, and Jesus, the, the friend of this man Lazarus, not just a, an acquaintance but a deeply seated love that he had for this man, instead of immediately doing whatever it was that he could have done to heal Lazarus, he, he says, this sickness isn't to death, even though we know that eventually he did die. And this sickness isn't to death to the point that I'm not even going to go, and we're just going to wait here two more days. And the plan of Jesus on the surface 
when we first come to it, seems unusual. Seems unusual. He understood that the sickness that Lazarus had was to serve a greater purpose. It was to serve a greater purpose. Notice again what he says in verse 4. The sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Even to the point that he waited two days before going back to Judea, Jesus knew that this death was for a greater purpose. And so we'll come back to that thought here in a little bit, but hold that in your mind as we move on to verses 11 through 15 and considering the pronouncement of Jesus. The pronouncement of Jesus, right? We've, you've already seen the pattern where we're going with the letter P, right? And as we come to this one, my mind, okay, what, what, what word should we use in this section here? Should we use the word prediction? Or maybe the, the word prophecy because Jesus isn't in the same location as Lazarus. And, and he comes to the point and tells them, he says, verse 11, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him. Then his disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, not that they uh, but, uh, spoke of his death, but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. The thing here is, in my mind, it, it reads on the forefront as though Jesus is maybe predicting it or, or prophesying about it or, or telling the future or even telling them something they didn't know, which is the case. But it's just Jesus stating plainly the fact of the matter that Lazarus is dead. He's pronouncing the fact that Lazarus is dead. And now it's time that I may go wake him, Jesus says. And so he's dead. I'm glad I wasn't there. Notice verse 15. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, Let us go also, that we may die with him. Such an interesting account in which Jesus could have prevented Lazarus from dying. We've already seen that in his ability, his powerful, miraculous works. He could have prevented him from dying, but he waits two days. And he, when Lazarus finally dies, he says, I'm glad that, I, that for your sakes I wasn't there. On the surface, it seems so odd. Let's continue reading verses 22 through 27. Notice the promise of Jesus. The promise of Jesus. Let's back up in verse 17 because it's such a, a powerful account for us to think about the, the despair that Mary and Martha were in. So, so verse 17, when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. She didn't wait for him to come there, but she went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She knew of all the things that Jesus had already done. She knew of the, of the healing of the blind man. She knew of the healing of, of the lame man. She, she knew of the healing of, the, of the, the nobleman's son and of the turning of the water to wine. No doubt she knew of the power that Jesus had. And, and so Jesus is coming and you can only understand and only imagine what she's feeling in her heart. Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 23. Your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. 
the promise of Jesus, this entire account really hinges on these particular verses, particularly the promise that Jesus made to uh, the, these individuals. It was a promise for the ages. It's, it's not limited to just those that were there that Jesus was speaking directly to. It's a promise to all of mankind, a promise of hope in the midst of suffering, a, a promise that on the surface might seem harsh. It might seem as one who is a miserable comforter, like we, we spoke of even yesterday, like Job's friends, that in this particular case, that, that as, as Martha comes to him and says, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother would not have died. And Jesus says, he'll rise again. It, 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 on the surface again, it seems like, well, she's like, yeah, I know he's going to rise again on, on that day, but, but I'm talking about here and now. But Jesus is, is actually talking about the fact that he will literally rise again there in that day. Let's keep move on. Verses 32 through 38. Notice the pity of Jesus. The pity of Jesus. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they have said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Jesus wept. The shortest verse in the entire Bible. Short in length, but extreme in impact. To consider what, that Jesus had compassion on and pity for those who were sorrowing after the death of Lazarus, those that were so close to him. Verse 33, it says, He groaned in the Spirit. Jesus was deeply hurt. Jesus was in, in turmoil in his inner being over what was going on in these close friends' lives. But then notice verses 41 through 45. The story doesn't end there. Consider the power of Jesus. The power of Jesus. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me, and I know that you have always heard you always hear me but because of the people who are standing by I said this that they may believe that you sent me connect that back if you're taking notes back to verse number 15 and I'm glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe nevertheless let us go to him going back now to verse 41 they took away the stone verse 42 I know you always hear me but because of the people who are standing by I said this that they may believe that you sent me now when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. That's one of those things, sometimes when we're reading our Bible, we may just come across a verse and we just read it in our mind, Lazarus, come forth, and he, and he who died came out of bound. Can you be, imagine standing there in that day, however, the, whatever the inflection was, or the power of the voice that Jesus used, Lazarus, come forth. If you're just standing there and watching this man, having never seen a dead man raised before, you can only imagine, does he really think that this dead man's going to come back to life? And, and Jesus is saying it powerfully with a loud voice. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Can you imagine today if someone were brought back to life in the flesh? I'm not talking about somebody that, whose heart stopped for a few moments or even for 45 minutes. Verse 33 says that Lazarus was in the tomb for four days. Four days. Why did Jesus wait so long? To remove all doubt. To 
to remove all doubt that when he came to him, Lazarus was already stinking. He was already stinking in the tomb, and Jesus said, come forth, and Lazarus came forth from the grave. The power of Jesus, the ability to raise back to life, is an ability that no one can deny as not belonging to deity. In this moment, we have manifested before our eyes the deity of the Christ. Certainly, we had seen men in the past work these miracles, and certainly we see Jesus now working miracles, but here he is raising a man back to dead, from the dead. Can you imagine all these things playing out before your eyes? What would be your reaction? What would be your response to that particular occasion? It's really interesting if you notice what happens following this particular account. What we see others there in that day doing. Notice verses 46 through 48. We see the predicament for the Jews. Verses 46 through 48. But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them that the things that Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and nation. <coughs> so we have the predicament for the Jews. They're following him and they're believing in this guy. I mean, who can blame them, right? He just raised someone from the dead. But notice also the preoccupation of Judas immediately following Jesus raising a man from the dead. Judas is worried about money. Verses 1 through 8 of chapter 12. If you recall that Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard. Verse 3. <coughs> anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. But notice, notice what Judas Iscariot in verse 5 says. Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? <coughs> then he said... This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. The Jews respond in such a way, we, we've got trouble on our hands. They're following this man, Jesus, because he's, he's working these miracles. What are we going to do about this? How about follow him, right? And then Judas Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead and has done all these other miracles and is working perfectly and living perfectly in, in the face of Judas. And Judas is worried about some money that, that could have been saved instead of using this particular ointment to, to wipe Jesus' feet, the, the very anointed of God. Then notice the plot of the Jews in verses 9 through 11 of chapter 12. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only but that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead but the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also because on account of him many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus again why would they not why would they not so, so the response that we see from this great account of the resurrection of Lazarus, we have the predicament of the Jews. Well, what are we going to do in this situation? We have the preoccupation of Judas. Uh, who, why are we wasting this money? We have the plot to kill Jesus and Lazarus. I want us to make some application from this text. Three things that it'll be, the lesson will be yours. What, number one, what Jesus did for Lazarus has also, in a sense, been done for us. What Jesus did for Lazarus has also, in a sense, been done for us. As we, we go back and think about the things we've just considered, that, that Jesus, number one, phileoed 
if you want to put it that way, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Jesus also phileos us. He also phileos us. The Father phileos us, John chapter 16, verse 25. If we're to go to chapter 15, verse 13, we remember this well-known verse, the greater love hath no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his friends. Jesus has laid down his life for us. The, the Father has offered his Son as a sacrifice for us, and he's done that for us because he counts us as friends. And then in verses 12 through 17, let, let's actually turn there. I want us to consider chapter 15, verses 12 through 17. That we already considered verse 13, greater love has no man than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus says, you're my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. I haven't kept anything from you. You're my friends. I, I want to reveal these things to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. These things I command you, that you love one another. Jesus similarly loves us and has given us a, a task, a responsibility and has entrusted us with things. Think about the fact that Jesus phileoed us, just like he phileoed Lazarus and, and Mary and Martha. But Jesus also had and has a plan for us. In Ephesians chapter 1, we see that Jesus' plan for us was from the very beginning of time. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world, verse 4. And just as Jesus planned to use the death of Lazarus as a means to bring glory to God, just, just as Jesus waited two days so that Lazarus would die, so that he might be able to show them his power, that they might believe in him more fully, Jesus has a plan to use us to bring glory to God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. The reason we are part of the church, the reason we're that peculiar people, that, that distinct generation or chosen generation is because God wants us to bring glory to him that we might show forth the praises of God to others. Jesus' plan for us, God's plan for us, is to be used by him. As God, Jesus also, through inspired writers, has made the pronouncement of spiritual death upon all people. Though many do not know it, they are walking around as though they are already dead. As we said from the very beginning, lessons from the walking dead. We look around all around us today and we can see people that though they are living, they are dead, spiritually dead. Romans 3 verse 10 tells us that no one is righteous, not even one. Verse 23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chapter 2 of Colossians verse 13, Ephesians 2 1, those that are in sin are dead in their trespasses. Jesus has made the pronouncement of death over all mankind that have sin on their account, those that are, that are accountable to the gospel. Jesus today makes the same promise to us that was made in John chapter 11, verses 26 and 27, as he spoke to Martha, that, that, she, uh, that, that Lazarus would rise again. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, verse 25, he who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Now, if we die here in this life, here in today, and, and Jesus doesn't come for another hundred thousand years, 
He's not promising that we're going to be resurrected to life tomorrow just because we uh, have died today, just like Lazarus was. But there is the promise that Martha knew about of the resurrection of eternal life that we might have the opportunity to be in heaven with him forever. And so that same promise to us that was made to her in that day has been made to us. Clearly the Lord even Christ has pity on us today. The very fact that the Lord was moved with enough sorrow on behalf, uh, on our behalf due to our need for salvation from sin shows his pity and compassion for us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. And beyond that, we have available to us the power of Jesus Christ. We are raised to walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were dead, but when we were baptized with him, we were raised to walk in newness of life, just like Lazarus was, but in a spiritual sense, in a more important sense, a non-fleshly sense. The powerful blood of Jesus has the power to forgive us of our sins. Ephesians 1 verse 7. The powerful blood of Jesus has the power to bring us back near to the God of heaven and earth. Ephesians 2 verse 13. The powerful blood of Jesus has the power to cleanse our conscience clean. Hebrews 9 verse 14. The powerful blood of Jesus has the power to continually cleanse us of all sin as we are in the light. 1 John 1 verse 7. What Jesus did for Lazarus has also, in a sense, been done for us. But secondly, as by way of application... Realize that spiritual resurrection is powerful. The resurrection of a spiritually dead man today, if not more than, is just as powerfully influential as the resurrection of a physically dead man. In other words, yes, if we were to see a dead man raised to life by Jesus here today in this very moment, we would be astonished. But I submit to you this evening that when an individual that was spiritually dead is raised to walk in newness of life and is now walking in a new life, that it is just as powerful, if not more so, uh, as an evidence to Jesus and his deity and his power. That an individual would turn from their ways of sin and turn from being a servant of, of the devil and to turn to Jesus and to follow him as their Lord, to walk in newness of life is powerful. It's one thing, as we said, to watch someone's physical body be resuscitated, but it's an entirely different thing to watch someone resurrect from the dead man of sin, to walk a new life, to literally be dead to the person they were before, to change, to stop, to repent, and to be like Paul, Galatians 2.20, in which he said, I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet, not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, I'm crucified. In other words, I'm dead, but yet I live because I live a new life with Christ in me. How many of you have been won over by the change in conduct of someone else? We talk all the time about the fact that our coworkers ought to see something different in our life than maybe they see in other people's lives. Maybe you became a Christian while you were an adult and someone that you were working with noticed the changes in habits that, that took place in your life and that all of a sudden you were a different person and that things are, were completely different in your life and they look at you and they scratch their head, what's different? What's changed? And you tell them, I'm a follower of Jesus now. It's a powerful thing 
for an individual to see another individual resurrect in a spiritual sense to walk in a new life. And so don't discount, don't discredit spiritual resurrection and the power that it has. Finally, for some, even a dead man resurrected is not enough. Even a dead man resurrected is not enough. Some people ask, why doesn't Jesus come today and, and reveal himself? Or why doesn't Jesus come today and raise someone to death that I from, from death that I love? So that I may believe in him and his power and that he has power even over death. The thing is, there were those in that day that saw that. That saw what actually happened with Lazarus and they still didn't believe. They saw this man walking that they knew had been dead. I mean, he was still literally wrapped in his clothes, his burial garments, walking out like a mummy. They saw this man who had been in the grave for four days and he stunk. And he's now walking and living and they still didn't accept Jesus. For some, even a dead man being brought to life isn't enough to build faith in their hardened hearts. Matthew chapter 27, verse 42, some would say, while Jesus was on the cross, if you'll just but bring yourself down the from the cross, we will believe. We know that's not the case. They didn't even believe in the case of the resurrection of Lazarus. This evening, as we conclude, the question I want to place before you is, is your heart so hard tonight that even the resurrection of a, of a, a spiritually dead individual to walk in newness of life is not enough to convince you to follow Jesus. That an individual would change the way that they live and now walk a completely different road following after Jesus as their Lord. Even if it didn't make sense. Even if it meant persecution and hardship. Even if it meant a demotion at their job or even a loss of their job. Even if it didn't make sense and you looked at them and you saw that and your heart is still so hard that you don't want to follow this man Jesus that changed that individual's life, there needs to be some evaluation in your life and self-reflection about where you are. And maybe you have gone by the wayside and you've forgotten the power that, that Jesus has and his ability to raise even this dead man Lazarus, the power that he has even to raise us up on that last day. We want you to focus on spiritual things and make those things right. If there's anything that we can do for you this evening, we ask that you come as together we stand and as we sing.